Good morning. Uh, I'm excited to, um, to preach today's message. Um, we are busy with the letter of Ephesians, and um, we finally managed to wrap up chapter one after a couple of weeks. Um, but uh, we're going to carry on from there. So just a quick re- recap where we're at. We're doing the letter to the Ephesian church. So Paul is sitting in prison in Rome, and he is, he's gone throughout the Roman Empire, planting churches, building communities, and eventually everyone just had quite enough of him, and they captured him and locked him up. And from prison he's writing these letters, and he knows the people at Ephesus. So Ephesus is a little, not little, it's a big city in what is now Turkey, Think Cape Town, think beautiful city, lots of people, diverse, like lots of cultures mingling together there. Um, and he was there and he planted that, or not planted the church, but he helped uh, build that church that was there in Ephesus. And so he knows the people there and he is sitting in prison and he's writing and he's encouraging the people of this church. So think of a congregation kind of like, like this, more or less, like a house church, people coming together, different backgrounds and just different nationalities. And they're hearing about this message. And so we went through Ephesians 1 where he just praises God for all the blessings that he's given us in Christ Jesus. How, I mean, that's what we went through the last couple of weeks. How he's chosen us by grace. We've been forgiven. We've been redeemed. We've been adopted. And then through him we can see God's plan for the world in Jesus. How he is building a new kingdom that that flows out through Jesus. There is a future kingdom, future hope that we can look out for. There is a, a, um, the Holy Spirit is, is empowering this people. And, and he ends up praying for this church. And he prays those three things. He prays that that hope of that future kingdom will just like take, take root in, in people's hearts. And that, 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 that knowledge, that glory of that future kingdom will start taking place in the world as these people are living out the gospel in their lives. And that they will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. They know what that power is. That's what Andrew spoke about last week and spoke about the week before as well. And so what we see Paul moving on in chapter 2 is actually taking those three concepts, taking it further, and actually going to expand a bit about that more. So we're in chapter 2, um, which is a beautiful, beautiful summary of the gospel. If anyone ever wants to ask you, like, what is the gospel, what is it about, or are you wondering what, what is the gospel about, Chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. That is a summary of the gospel. That's something to go to, and that's what we'll be discussing today. All right. So what we'll do, um, this is quite a, um, uh, a, a hefty topic. It can actually be a, a series on its own, but I'm going to try and summarize it as best as I can today, and uh, we'll see what the Holy Spirit can do for us today. Um, but the question that we're asking today is, what influences are shaping you? We, we sang about the firm foundation, and it, it, it links in pretty well, because it's what, what are we building our foundation on? What, what created your foundation? What is that thing that you use to react in certain decisions, making de- certain decisions? What, what helps you to respond in a certain way that you do, right? Um, so we'll go through like three points. Firstly, we'll, we'll talk about how the spiritual powers actually have way more of an influence in this world than we think. Secondly, we'll talk about Jesus' victory over, the, over death. And finally, we'll talk about our allegiance as it changes our way to live. So, our scripture for today, Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10. 
And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, that God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Father, I pray that you would speak to us today through your word. I pray that your gospel message will take root in our hearts. That we can see what this objective truth is that you have done in history that still applies to us today. Talk to us, Holy Spirit. Empower us. Give us the wisdom. Give us the knowledge. And more than anything, just let us know how deep is this love that you have for us today. Amen. So, <clears throat> this is quite a big passage and you know at first reading it kind of like does that it's like oh, okay that's that's nice Paul it's like very concise but there's actually quite a lot to unpack in there so talking about influences so everybody since childhood we have um, people who influence us so starting out as a baby you've got your parents primary caretakers caregivers it extends to your, maybe of siblings or family, uncles and aunts, grandfathers, anybody close to your, your nuclear family starts having an impact on how you view the world. It has an impact on your, your social behavior, your, your cognitive development, your emotional development. How you react to the world is based off your, your family at first. But then as you grow older, you start going to, to school or to church and you, you meet friends and you meet pastors and you meet teachers and they start having an influence in your life. They start shaping how you think about the world. As you finish, go through school, you, you actually start you know, um, seeing, like getting exposed to way more outside your family and friends. You start being exposed to the bigger world. What happens in movies, what happens in series, what happens in books that you read. And even more than that today, the social media age influences how people's behavior is in, in, in our society. I actually saw um, a, a tweet about uh, one guy's toddler who at night when, when they tuck him into bed, he actually says, don't forget to subscribe. Because he thought that, was, that meant goodbye. Because he watched so many YouTube videos. That's the impact that it has on our lives. We don't realize, and he was, I mean, he's a toddler. And he, he didn't realize, but that's, that, that's the stuff that's starting to happen nowadays. We, do, we don't realize the impact that the world around us has on us. 
you know, as we as we grow older, we we you know the majority of our lives is you know at work with our colleagues, with mentors at work, and um, you know there's even life coaches. We expose ourselves to different influences to help us to shape and interpret this life. And all of these things are not necessarily bad. It's, it's, it's normal. We are influenced by our society, by our communities. But Paul here writes about another influence. Paul, Paul writes about an influence that's, that's, that is um, infiltrating all of these different levels in our lives. If we read the first section, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul is writing here about another influence. So we've got all those social influences, which is fine. It's, it's, it's normal. It's good. It can be very healthy. It is necessary for a healthy development. But he's talking here about another force. And it's a spiritual force, something that we don't see, something that has an influence on our lives and in every one of those different development stages. But that affects, it kind of, it taints the way that we see the world. And he's not talking here about, I mean, I don't know what from your background, what your conception is of you know, the devil and demons and the spiritual world. and It can very easily become a cartoonish idea about like, flapping demons and doing scary stuff. But he's talking here about a real power. He's talking about there are real powers in this world. That's his understanding. And that's what we're learning from today. There's, a, there's the, the prince of the power of the air. This is a, I'm not going to go deep into that, but basically that refers to Satan, the evil one refers to there is a power in this world that causes people to follow in a certain way, follow them, follow him, and do certain things, follow the flesh. And he's not just talking about the Gentiles. He's not saying it's only you guys who followed them and we Jews, we were okay. You see that he said, among whom we all once lived. He includes himself. We're all, whether we're Jew or Gentile, whether you know, barbarian or Greek. That's why he starts comparing those two different nations. Because he's saying that we all were under this. We followed this without us even knowing. We followed this prince of the power of the air. We followed the ways of the world. We followed this flesh. And what is this flesh that he's talking about? This carrying out the desires of the body and mind. And it's very easy to just say, okay, those people, it looks like those, those are the fleshly people. But what he's talking about here is a, a what is the original sin? It's a deep-rooted mistrust in God. And I'm God. It changes the focus of I'm following God to I'm actually going to follow myself. It's going to become, I, I become inwardly focused and selfish. Selfishness is like, and pride. Pride and selfishness is linked together. I trust in myself. And that is the root of so much evil in this world. And it's not just political leaders causing wars and whatever nonsense is going on in the world today. He's not just talking about, oh, out there. So we should be careful not to just think of sin and flesh and bad people as out there. It's very easy to do that. We should realize that there's a selfishness in us as well that causes us. It, it's, it's kind of like, we spoke about this the other day, it's kind of like there's like this pressure. You know when you're tempted to do something? 
you know, whether it is an addiction, whether it is anything else, it feels kind of like a pressure against you. You can't see it, but it feels like it's pushing you in a certain direction. It's like, I, I don't want to, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very close to, to doing this thing. I, I know I shouldn't respond angrily to my child right now, but I, whew, I'm very close. And like you, it almost feels like you're resisting against something, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? And that, that, is, that is what Paul uh, is referring to here. It's like there is this, this pressure on us to give an analogy. And I really hope I can explain this clearly today because this is, I think, one of the best analogies of the powers at work in this world. In the tropical rainforests, there is a certain mushroom, fungus, that grows. It's called cordyceps. And the way this fungus grows, it's not just something that grows on plants and you know, lovely little mushrooms. What this thing does is it spreads spores in the air that you can't see. And these spores drop down and it lands on an ant. This ant, you know, at first is fine, continues with the colony, moves along, does its thing. But then after a while, that spore starts going through the exoskeleton of the ant and it starts growing around the limbs and the muscles of the ant. And the ant starts doing weird stuff and moving in different directions and doing things that's different to the colony. Until one day where this ant actually cannot control itself anymore and it, the spore, the fungus, actually grows in so much inside it that it forces the ant to move outside the colony, to leave the colony, like a zombie, move outside Go to a specific place, this, this is incredible, go to a specific place, 25 centimeters above the ground, climb up a tree, go to a leaf, check that the humidity is perf perfect between 94 and 95% humidity, and forces that ant to bite down against the leaf and so suffocate itself. What it then does is it essentially starts eating all the vital organs of this ant, and it sprouts out of the ant's head. And it grows a new mushroom out of the ant's head, kills the ant. And usually, it does that right above the ant colony. And what it then does is it spreads those spores again until more of them land on the other ants around them. And the same thing happens. That is how it manipulates and how it progresses. It is absolutely disgusting. Evil it is an evil mushroom. <laughs> it uses insects, and especially ants, to, to get its own way. And Paul is saying, this is how we should think of the powers. There is a prince of the power of the air. There is something we breathe in, something that goes through our skin that we can't see, that before Christ forced us to go into a certain direction. When you read Paul's letters, you see he talks about we're slaves to sin. We were slaves to sin. Just like you would just go in a certain direction. It's like almost like we, and it doesn't take over the mind. They, they, they did studies on these ants that it doesn't take over the mind. It takes over the muscles. So the ant probably still knows what it's doing. But it can't help. It just force goes in, this, in a certain direction. And that's exactly the, the same thing that happens with addictions, right? Like, you know I'm not supposed to do this. 
But it's like, ah, I can't help myself. I need to go in a certain direction. It's, it's purely evil. <laughs> I think it's purely evil. We should, we should acknowledge the, the gruesome and the vile and the manipulativeness of sin. It's not something to play around with. It's something that grasps your muscles to go in a certain direction, to think in a certain way. We should be very careful. And so today, even still, we should check out for this. There's powers that's still going on in this air. There's powers that we can see around us that when we, when we see people exploiting one another, that's the powers at work in those people's lives. When we see people objectifying one another, the mass industry of pornography in this world, the powers at work. When we see division being caused by racial differences, it's the powers at work. We should acknowledge that. We should see that there's, there's stuff happening here that's more than just, oh, okay, that's a bad person. God loves us and God made us in his image. But there are powers at work that manipulate God's people. And we should be aware of it. We shouldn't take it lightly. So even in our own lives, when you realize that there's a conflict going on, don't give in to this parasite. Don't give in to the powers. Don't give in to that because it, it keeps on coming. You know, even Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. It's the powers. Just be aware of it. And this is quite heavy, I know. But it's something that we need to be aware of because what it does, <clears throat> one of the primary things it does is actually it causes us to distrust God, distrust Jesus, thinking that we should be okay in our own might. We should make ourselves okay. That is a lie from the powers. That is a lie that has snuck into our thinking that we're not okay. Can we really trust God? All right. Okay, but some good news. <laughs> but God, it's always a but God. It's always a but God. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. So we were dead in our trespasses. We all had that parasite. He made us alive together with Christ. When he made Christ alive, he made us alive. By grace you have been saved. He raised us up with him. He seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When you read chapter 1 again, you'll see that's what he did to Jesus. He raised him up from the dead and he seated him next to the Father in heavenly places. Now Paul is saying, oh, by the way, he did the same thing to you. Past tense. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Past tense. So sometimes it feels a bit weird, Paul's tenses, right? We're, we're carrying on. We're like, we don't feel any different. But he is talking here about he made us alive. He raised us up. He seated us. So, okay, but I don't feel any different. One thing to understand here is in, in, um, in Paul's mindset and in the, the biblical world, there's, uh, there's two ages. Right? There's this age. Sometimes Paul calls, calls it the, the age of sin and death. It's this age. Like, the, the course of this world, right? When he talks about the course of this world, he's talking about this age. But then there's the age to come, which is the new heavens and the new earth. That is the, the finality when Jesus comes back. But what's happening is there's an overlap happening that started when Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead. 
It's an overlap where the new age is actually starting to creep into this old age. This old age is dying. These spores have been conquered. This parasite has been conquered by Jesus. That's what he did. That's what he did on the cross. So he is, I'm stretching the analogy a bit here, but he is like an ant who was infected. He took all the parasites that was on us, all the spores that were on us. He took it on himself and he climbed on that tree and he died. But instead of that spore, that fungus growing out of him and then carrying on again and exposing everyone else, he took that spore and, it, and he, it, he killed it with himself. It died there with him. So that we don't have to die. So that we don't have to go that route on, onto the cross. We deserve to go on that route on the cross. We deserve to be, to have, I mean, we're infected. We are, deserve to go on that cross. But what Jesus did is he took that on himself. What we deserve and he took that. And, at, and then at the same time, we got what he deserved. He deserved, he was sinless. He deserved to be next to the Father. To be raised up. And he's like, okay. I'm giving that to you. So instead of spores now spreading around, evil continuing, he actually spread his spirit after dying. And he's saying, okay, there's a new way. You don't have to follow the course of this world anymore. You don't have to follow the prince of the power of the air. Because there's a new way of living. Now, just one thing that, stand out, that stands out here is... Um, just a, a quick comment is, what do you think of when you think of God? What is the, like, where does your mind go to? Paul's mind here is rooted in the, in the Hebrew scriptures. And there's one verse that describes the identity of God. It's in Exodus 34, when, when, God, when Moses asks God to reveal himself to him. God passes by. And he says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's where Paul's mind goes when he thinks of God. And it's because of that identity that he says, because he's rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has for us. It's not because of judgment, it's because of his great love for us. It's not because he hated Jesus. And so it's because he loves us that he's doing this. We should keep that in mind. Um, the, the, the identity that we have here with Jesus, I mean, it, it, it feels a bit strange to, to get, come to grips with what it means. But think of it this way. We have a, I have a friend that is actually they're emigrating to New Zealand soon. One of the things that happens after you emigrate to another country is after a certain amount of years, you get citizenship, which means you can get that country's passport. And that passport and that, those rights attached to that give you certain benefits in this new country that you're living in. So New Zealand's got like one of the most favorable passports in the world. And that's more or less what is happening here, is that in Jesus, it's like we, we got a new passport. We got a new identity, we got a, we got a new citizenship that allows us rights that we didn't otherwise have. 
in Christ is like a new country, right? In Israel, Israel was a person before it was a country. Did you know that? Israel was a person before it was a country. So there was the Israelites. Now, in Christ was a person, and now it's kind of like a country. The citizens are called Christians. It's a new country, with, which means we've got new rights. We've got a new legal standing. We've got a new way that we can objectively look at the world that does not conform to the pattern of this world. And the more we get to know Jesus, the more we are in this relationship with him, the more our minds are transformed by this objective truth to make a change in our subjective experience. That is why we have church. That is why we preach, is to keep reminding ourselves that there's a new life here. There's a new creation that, that sprung out when Jesus died. There's a new creation. Yes, there are still spores around in the air that infect people. We can see it around us. We can say, like, you can say, Kubus, I, I, I mean, this is nice, but I mean, I still do bad stuff. I still see people doing bad stuff. I see the world is not really getting any better. But our feelings need to adjust to the truth. Our feelings do not determine the truth of this passage, of this reality. If Jesus really died and raised from the dead, which he did, then everything changed. Everything changed. He was the last one to die that we don't need to die. And the spores are busy dying out. This kingdom is busy coming to an end. This age is busy coming to an end. And there's a new kingdom coming. And we don't have to live according to this kingdom's rules anymore. We've got a new kingdom. We've got a new passport. We've got new legislation that applies to us. We've got new freedom through His Holy Spirit to allow us to live in a different way. So our allegiance changes the way we live. Now, <clears throat> I don't know, this is quite a lot of stuff. Does it make sense? Everyone still okay? <laughs> when we look at the last passage, Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, reading this, um, there's been a long time running debate about um, the role of works in a Christian's life. And um, are we saved by works? Are we not saved by works? Okay, what do we do now? You know, if we're saved by grace, how do we respond? What do we do? And I think um, something I just quickly want to show now here to wrap this up is the ancient conception of gifts is very different to how we think about gifts today, right? So if, you, if we talk about giving gifts today, okay, this is a gift of God. If we're talking about gi giving gifts to today, the ideal gift to give someone today is a gift with no strings attached, right? That's how we think. That's, that's fine. It's our, it's our culture. It's the environment that we grow up in. It's like, I'm giving something just because I want to, right? But I don't expect anything from you. That, that's fine. You know, just you, you be you. I'm just giving you a gift because I love you, right? That's how we think. And that's what we think is a virtuous gift is doing that. This is so far removed from how in many ancient cultures they thought about gifts. Gifts is a tool. And Paul doesn't think about a gift a virtuous gift is something that has no strings attached. He's thinking here about a gift with strings attached. He's thinking here about a gift with a response. Because we have been, and we're talking about influences, we've been influenced by an individual mindset. Which means 
I need to look after myself and you know, I'm going to basically use you or I'm going to only form a relationship with you as long as it benefits me. And maybe if it benefits you, but I feel kind of good about myself. It's, it's me and you like separate entities. But the, the communal relationship that was around in, in Jesus' time, in Paul's time, is very different to this. There, the community was everything. The community was the important part. And so giving gifts wasn't there just to make me look better. It was there to build a relationship, to make the ties in the community stronger. And it's something that we struggle to do with because we think of that as bribery. But it's, it's been, it's been a, it, it was a positive thing in that day that people build relationships by giving gifts to, to one another. So I've got a, uh, just a short like, analogy of that um, from a book. I can definitely recommend this book. Uh, it's called Misreading Scripture with Individualist Eyes. Definitely write it down, read it, because it makes a massive difference in how we read this passage and how we read the Bible. So there's a story. Just bear with me. They write, let's suppose there was a wealthy man in Ephesus named Diocles. Rich man named Diocles. His family made its fortune a few generations earlier in the gold mines near the city. He owns a number of estates in Asia Minor. Very wealthy man. A few city blocks away, there's another man named Belen, and he owns a family bakery. His father and his grandfather before him baked barley loaves and sacrificial cakes to sell. The bakers in that city worshipped Fornax, the goddess of ovens. One day, Belen must have angered the goddess, or so he reasons, because his bakery catches fire and is destroyed. Although there are few banks in Ephesus, no bank will loan money to a cursed banker. And how would he repay the loan anyway? Like many of the ancient world, he's, he barely provides for his family as it is. His only hope is a relationship. So Belen goes to visit the rich Diocles. And that morning, as every morning, Diocles' friends line up outside of their patron's door. Diocles serves as a patron, somebody who is a benefactor to people around him. Each of those people meets to see whether Diocles needs anything done that day, to make any requests for help and to receive any benefits he wishes to give. These friends all have an established relationship with Diocles as their patron. Belen joins the end of the line, stands at the back. He explains his problem and asks for help rebuilding his bakery. Diocles, the patron, he's not required, either socially or morally, to help Belen, but he is able and decides to help. Patronage is a virtue stressed for the healthy, a wealthy. So Diocles gives the baker the resources to rebuild the bakery, but he might also provide funds. He might ask another of his friends who is a builder to assist Belen in rebuilding the bakery and another friend to provide new wood and thatch. Likely Diocles will offer a mix of help drawn from his social network. Belen obviously did not earn this gift and will not be able to pay it back, but he will be expected to reciprocate. Diocles has invested in Belen's life, and so Belen will want to invest in Diocles' life. He'll do this by showing gratitude to Diocles. Belen's gratitude is more than words. Belen will be loyal to, Di to Diocles. From now on, he bakes bread for Diocles' family and all the people who work in Diocles' extended circle. He does it because he wants to participate in Diocles' life. He is grateful. This is not just transactional. It is they are in a relationship. This is very different to how we think of the world today. This is a patron and a client relationship, which was very common in the ancient world. And this 
It's what Paul has in mind when he writes about God's gift to us. We are like those whose bakeries burnt down. And we're coming to God and saying, please, have grace. And so, when we look at the verse, he talks about us coming to God not as a result of works. God is not helping us because we earned it. Our bakery burnt down. We didn't earn his grace. He gave it freely. He gave life to us freely. But, in Paul's mindset, there is a relationship now. He did that for good works. We can very easily argue that, oh, okay, no, I've been saved by grace. I'm done. I can carry on living as I want to. Which is, I mean, it's a very easy and logical conclusion to make. It really is. So that's okay if, you, like, if your brain makes the conclusion. But what he's saying is there's actually more that we can live for now. Now, like an ant that is not being clamped down by this parasite anymore, now we have an opportunity to put ourselves under a new influence, under a new ruler of a new kingdom that, tra that transforms the way we live, that transforms the way we think, so that we don't have to walk in the way of this world anymore. We get to live in a relationship with God. So if we read the scripture again, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were all selfish and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We all deserve to die. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, even when we were possessed by this parasite, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with Christ, and he seated us with Christ in heavenly places, in Christ, so that in the coming ages, the new age is coming. He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith is loyalty, is trust towards this God. It's that relationship. God shows us grace and we show faith. It's, it goes hand in hand. It's not an either or. It's not just a, a mind thing. It's a relationship. It's, a, it's strings. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work. So that no one may boast. No one may say, I strong-armed God into doing this for me. For we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, in wrapping up, understand that there are other powers at work. That sin is a parasite that is at work, yes. But God... In Christ Jesus made us alive that we don't have to follow the course of this world anymore we can put ourselves under a new influence and we by this grace we can respond in gratefulness in faith and live this out so I don't know where you find yourself today I don't know where you stand in this relationship with your patron Maybe you sit here and you realize, I'm, I need someone to save me. 
I need someone to rescue. My bakery burnt down. I can't figure out this life on my own. I need someone to help me. Or maybe you are a loyal patron to, to Jesus or a client to Jesus. But, you've, but you see there are still parasites around and there's stuff that's infecting the way you think. And you want to get rid of that. Communion, another word for communion is, uh, is the Eucharist. Eucharist means thankfulness. Let us respond in thankfulness about our patron, our God, who sets us free from this thing. That we don't have to walk in this way anymore. Talk to God. Sit. Wrestle with Jesus. Pray with each other. We're doing this together. We're one body in Christ. Pray with one another. It's not an individual thing anymore. Jesus saved all of us. That we can be a part of this new kingdom. That we can live in a way that glorifies him that brings restoration, that brings health, that brings life. Jesus calls us to a new life. And taking the bread and the wine, we are in Christ. We're taking part of this in Christ. We've been raised up, made alive in Christ. We are part of his body. Jesus, thank you for this gift. It is beautiful. Thank you for taking the pain, taking the parasite, taking it up a tree and killing it. That we don't have to die. That we don't have to live like dead people, like zombies walking around. That we can live a new life, a life filled by your Spirit. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would reveal that in our hearts where it is that we need to repent. I ask that you open our heart and, and, and make it soft and malleable that we can be shaped by, by you. The beautiful thing, Jesus, about what you're doing is you're not coercing us. This is free. It's a free gift. The devil forces us. The devil forces the world, clamps around their muscles, to force them in a certain direction. But you release that and you give us the freedom and the opportunity. Choose love and choose life. Okay.